We're going to read God's Word today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in the section from verse 4 to 9. Now, I know that I have declared our study this year is 1 Corinthians 12. And you say, but Pastor, you haven't even touched it yet. Well, this is only the second week of the year, and uh, I have to help with the foundation here. You've got to know the people that Paul wrote to in order to understand why he wrote what he did in chapter 12. And another factor you've got to know, you've got to know what God has done to understand why we are told what we are in chapter 12 on how the church ought to function. The church is God's idea. And that's how simple this is to start off with. But our study is the efficient functioning of the church. And uh, we are going to look again at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians 4 through verse 9. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and in all knowledge, just as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you eagerly await the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end, blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, help us again, for this is Your Word that we have in front of us, and we seek to know it better. And You're the teacher, and we're dependent upon You to uh, not only guide us through this and help us understand, but also to give us what we need to do it, to live according to your plan and to bring glory to your name. We are dependent people, and that's what we admit readily as we start our study today. We need you to guide us through this text. So please, Lord, uh, do your great work in our hearts. We know that uh, everything you do is good, and the work you're doing in our lives today is good too. And we'll give you the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the key notes to what we are looking at in this passage in chapter 1, 4 through 9 is what God has done to make the church. It's a simple thing. But as you probably might have noticed, this is your first week for a bulletin, you know. Uh, at the top, I always put the phrase for the year, and we change it every year. And this week, or this year's is what? What's that? Is that what you just read? No, you got to have the right words here. <laughs> what is it? God has done it again. We got that from Jackson when he was here. Uh, quite a few months ago, he came up here to, to share with us. And that was his phrase. And I said, that's it. We got our phrase for the year. God has done it again. And it's beautiful when you study it in this passage too. This is what God has done. And when we watch and see what God has done, we ought to be amazed, encouraged by it, joyful in what we have seen. But this is what God has done to make the church, and it's easy to miss that fact and turn the church into the creation of man, as if everything here depends upon us. The main point of the passages that we're going to study is going to bring that to our attention. Now, I told you before, our study is on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
And we are going there in just a week or so. Um, but when I shared this with you last week, if you were listening on Zoom, it was, I know it was a different kind of service, wasn't it? Um, we didn't have this either. Uh, I don't believe we have it recorded. Did we, Evan? Did we get that recorded? Or? No, we didn't. There were so many buttons to push anyway. Uh, so I can repeat myself for a minute, okay? In 1 Corinthians 12, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to read some verses that I highlighted last time. And you could just listen to it, or you could turn there with me, and you'll see it's only a few pages in your Bible. But uh, the emphasis is, this is God's work. This is God's work. This is God's work. And when he was talking to the Corinthians, he said in verse 4, chapter 12, verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And in verse 5, there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. And in verse number 6, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He starts to outline it pretty nicely for us here. That my gift was not given to me for me. It was for you. Just like your gifts are not given to you for you. They're for everybody else in the body of Christ that we all might benefit from the sharing of our gifts with one another. That's an important element here. But that's what the Lord has done. The Spirit has given these gifts for the common good. Verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Another, the words of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. It keeps saying it over and over and over again. You'll see it in verse 9, by the same Spirit. And by the same Spirit, twice in verse number 9. The emphasis going very strong there. Verse 11, it's one and the same Spirit that we're talking about, who works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. If that doesn't sound like he's in charge, I don't know what does. In verse 13, it talks about, it's by one spirit. In verse number 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desires. You ever get upset about the spiritual gift you got? Guess who gave it to you? And it was his desire. Do you think he did that just because he was going to punish you? I don't think so. we got a lot to learn, don't we? It says in verse 24, God has so composed the body. In verse number 27, now you are Christ's body. And he brings it down. We're individual members of it, each one. And in verse 28, and it's what God has appointed. God has appointed. I just bring this emphasis before you. It's, it's crystal clear through the passage when you're walking through it. There's a lot of study here. And more times than not, when we go into it, the question always is, so where's my part? Right? What's my part in the body? What, what's my gift in the body? And what's, what am I supposed to do in the body? And I think that's good questions. Good questions. But the first thing is, let's talk about who made it. And understand that he didn't make any mistakes here. And there is no gaps in his plan. There's no parts missing. He knows what he's doing. Do you trust him? That's what we're come down to. 
I, I believe this is what I, I shared with you last week too. The church loses its efficiency in function, its effectiveness, its fruit-producing capabilities when it puts the operation of the church into cleverness, when we put it into the ability of man, and we forget about the fact that God is supreme, and we must operate by His power, not by ours. We lose the efficiency. And the efficiency, I'm not saying you lose your identity. You lose your efficiency. And there's a difference. When we had a car last week that needed some help, we found out what the problem was. It, it, it was you step on it and it sputters, sputter, 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 sputter. And we said, well, what's wrong with this car? We took it in to, to get it fixed. And it doesn't seem like much. But you know when you got a little rotor problem? And it's not firing on all the four pistons that needs to go round and round. The whole car feels it. So does the driver. You, you feel that. And you say, something's wrong here. It's just a piece that's about this big. It's just a little arm that goes round and round and round and round. And it was not going right. And the efficiency was ruined. It wasn't operating like it should have. And here's a simple picture. In the church body, we all must understand God has put us here. God empowers us. God gives us wisdom to operate. God gives us each other to function together with. And when one part isn't operating right, does the whole body hurt? Yes, it does. There's personal accountability here for each of us to be what we're called to be. And I'm just going to keep bringing this up. And if it stomps all over your toes, it's stomping on mine too. All right, I've got sore toes. I've been studying for two weeks on this. So I just want to address this with you. Uh, the beginning place of the church is quite easy to understand. Let me, let me outline some things for you here as we go into this passage from verse 4 to 9 today in chapter 1. I want you to know, when we study the church, first of all, it was bought with an incredible price. It was bought with an incredible price. I'm just going to read to you some verses here. You can mark them down and study them up too. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which was purchased with His blood. This church does not belong to us. <laughs> it is. He bought it with His own blood. In verse number 9 of Revelation 5. Revelation 5, 9. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and break its seals, for you were slaughtered. That's a heavy word. You were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, 17 through 20, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold, from the feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. You need to know that. You were redeemed with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished, the spotless blood of Christ. This is important for us to understand. And second thing I want you to know, not only has the church been bought with incredible price, but Jesus Christ is the one who owns the church. He owns it. 
Remember when Simon Peter was talking and, you know, he said things very quickly, sometimes before it processed. And, and so, yet at the same time, he said some very profound things. And I don't know how much he really understood when he said it. But one thing he did say one day to Jesus is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that? It was in Matthew 16, 16. And Jesus responded to that and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Who's the builder? He is. This is important. Listen to this. My church. Who does it belong to? It's his. He possesses it. It's my church. I have to confess when new pastors get together, we do every now and then, we start talking and the comments are always like this. So, how's things at your church? How, how big is your church? You know, we always have to say how big. I don't know why. But we walk through all these, these same gymnastics every time. Tell me about your church and and how are things at your church? It's almost like the way quarterbacks claim that they're the team. They, that's my team. That's my team and stuff like that. Uh, as if the whole future of a team is built on one person. If you have a good year, the team does well. If you have a bad game, it reflects on the whole team. What is a pastor? What is a pastor? He's not the quarterback. He's an under-shepherd. Okay? We have a shepherd, don't we? We have a great shepherd, don't we? <laughs> I think so. Just an under-shepherd. He works for the great shepherd of the sheep. It said so in Peter. Peter is the one who marked this for us. Chapter 5 of First Peter chapter 1, or verse 1 through 4. Therefore I urge elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ, and one who is also a fellow partaker of the glory to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not with greed, but with eagerness, nor yet as domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples to the flock. And when the sheep, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's a passage that stays in front of me. And I remember over and over, I'm an under-shepherd. I'm serving my great shepherd. And I'm following his plans. See, the church is his. It belongs to him. But third idea, idea I give you. Jesus bought it with a precious blood. It belongs to him. He owns the church. Third thing is, the church is his project. It's his project. He said, I will build my church. It's his project. If he doesn't build it, then there's no point in, in looking at it, really. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, don't they? If they attempt to do it themselves, it's, it's not going to hold up. I will build my church. I will construct. That's the Greek word there. It's his project. It's his project. By the way, let me add another flavor to this, because I always find this when I read the, the verse and I look at the words in the Greek and I see their tenses and all that, and I stop and say, wow, that's really cool. I've never noticed it this way, but I just noticed it's a future indicative. Excite you? You say, what? What's that? 
Future indicative. Future you understand. That's why we use the word will. It's, it's out there. Right? I will go home. I will have lunch. That's future. But when it's put with an indicative, which all future tenses are when the Lord speaks, it's reality. It's not a maybe. It's not a question. It's not a hope. It's not a dream. It's not good intentions. He will build his church. It will be built. That to me is just, just so exciting to read. Because the Lord is not going to quit. Do you know what's fighting against it? The gates of hell. And guess what? He doesn't say, well, I hope it gets done. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I like being a part of something that's going to win. Don't you? It will be constructed. That's very definite. And I see that and I say, that's good to know. Fourthly, Jesus Christ employs us in his ministry. Understand that too. He employs us in his ministry. He's placed us, you and me, in his service for the sake of his church. It's for the sake of his church. Ephesians 4, one of my favorite passages. I take you there often, I think. But Ephesians 4, verse 11 through verse number 16. This is another place I mark in my, in my thinking and in my study because I have to remember where are we going? What are we doing? And this is what he outlines for us here in Ephesians 4. I'll get there. What's it say? Verse 11, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. He puts them in his employment. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. That's what he's going to do. And we have been given roles in that process. And you say, but that's not me. I'm, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm not. What, Pastor, that's maybe you, but that's not me. But it says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to Jesus Christ. This isn't done until we're all there. That we're all mature. Are we there? Can we go home? No? Okay, we're here all day today until we are. No? This is the role. We were aiming for the fullness of Christ. And the results of that were no longer to be children. Tossed here and there by waves. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, there's a lot of that. By craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, through whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. Now, are you employed in that service? Yes, you are. Every one of you. Every one of us. We are in this where every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. There's the efficiency factor. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. 
That needs to be on the refrigerator, folks. You need to see that. You need to know that. You need to remember, why am I here? Because you're employed by Jesus Christ to build his church. Don't worry, it's going to get done. You say, but I don't have much skill. Oh, trust him. Just hand him what you've got. You know, he once worked with two fish and a few loaves, right? I think he's pretty good at taking what little thing we bring and making it much bigger. I'm not, I'm not worried about that because he's going to build his church. I just think, wow, he's employed us. Well, that shows you how good a carpenter he is, by the way. You don't want to see my carpentry skills. I tried it once. My dad, well, he was an expert carpenter. Beautiful job, beautiful things he made. I couldn't cut a straight line to save my life. You know what? I made a cabinet once. I thought in high school I was going to make this beautiful cabinet for my mom. She collected bells, those little ceramic bells from all different places. And I said, I'm going to build a cabinet for my mom so she could put all her little bells in there. And it was to have two glass doors on the front. It was made entirely of walnut. Oh, what a beautiful cabinet. It was a big one. I thought like that. And I'm working on it day after day in shop class. Put it all together. Set it all there. The whole frame was like this. It was crooked. I took it home, and I said, I don't know how to get glass in it. It's supposed to have glass. My dad made it work. I don't know how he did it, but the glass fit when he was done. Many times, what we bring to the Lord is crooked. And you know what? He's a master carpenter. He knows how to build. Trust him with what you bring. Trust him. What's the fifth thing I want to bring up? The final results. The church will resemble him in the end. That is not a maybe either. When it is all done, it will look like him. It says in that same Ephesians passage, verse 15 and 16, just repeat those two sentences, but listen now with that in your mind. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, into him who is the head, even Christ. The whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual parts, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You know, there's a great passage in Romans, and we use it often, where it says that we know God calls us all things to work together, right? We use that when we're having a bad day. Okay. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Think of this in light of the church for a minute. God calls us all things to work together for good. He brings it all together. He's working in all these things according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That enough will rattle you, folks, if you really think it through. It's an amazing thing to realize. He chose you. You didn't chose him. He chose you that you might be like his son. That's how much he thinks of his son. He says, I, I want everyone to be like him. He's the final measuring stick, folks. When it's all said and done, we will be. Because God has already designed it so. 
We will be like Him. We will be like Christ. The church will not fail. Whom He predestined, He also called. And whom He called, He also justified. And He who He justified, He also glorified. All of those are past tense because God could speak that way about the future. That's not a question. It's a statement. And I'm excited about that. We need to understand that. Because when we go into this passage and study the Corinthian people, remember, that church was purchased by the blood of Christ. That church belonged to Him. That church is His project. That church, Jesus Christ employed people in that ministry that would benefit His church so it will resemble Him in the end. And yet when we read it, we say, I'd never want to go to a church like that. Because we see all their problems. We see all the flaws. We see all the things that fall far short of what they ought to be. It's because they were so immature. But do you think God gave up on the Corinthian church? Someday you're going to meet Corinthians in heaven. What are you going to do? Six feet? I'm not going to catch that, whatever that is. What are you going to do? They're bought by the blood of Christ. He says, and that's what you were, but now you are sanctified. Oh, it's a beautiful thing to study these people. Because I think somehow we fit in their shoes. And we look at all this and we say, what is going on? The Lord is so good. From beginning to end, from beginning to end, God is at work in his church. I want to give you another passage. We haven't even touched chapter 1, verse 4 yet, but we're getting there. He started this long before we even had a chance to advise him. Before we even had our two cents to say, Lord, this is how we ought to do it. Here's the best ways. Here's the options. You know, if you're going to grow this church, here's what it needs to be. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us. Alright, that's all past tense. That's all before. Before the foundation of the world. How old were you then? He chose us. That, again, that's one of those things that pop circuits up here when you try to figure it out. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Now watch how it swings in that same phrase. Before the foundation of the world, He chose us that we would be holy and blameless before Him. He goes all the way to the other end of the spectrum. From eternity past to eternity future. He says, this is when I chose you. This is when you're finished. And you stand before me, and you're holy, and you're blameless. That's amazing to me. That's his plan. He chose us, and the ending place is that we are like Christ. We are like Christ. And he will not fail. He never does. We were talking about that in Sunday school today. God is not satisfied with finishing the season 12 and 1. He's undefeated. Every time. His church will not fail. It's good to keep that perspective, folks. Sometimes there's criticisms. Yes. Sometimes there's corrections. Yes. We assume at times the church is defective. 
we think sometimes it's defeated. It's hit a hard place. It gets a little dent in it. It gets scratches all over it. Sometimes uh, it brings us to a place where we think, you know, it's better if we just replace it. You know, something more modern. That's a, a movement that's been going on in 30-some years in church activities. Let's make it more modern, something more adaptable for the world that we live in, something that the world finds more attractive. Let's design it so that there's change for the better. Really, are we going to get better than what God has designed? Anytime you attempt that, you're going to come up with something far less than perfect. God is aiming for perfect. We will never get there. Far too often the church tries to become the advisor for Jesus Christ on how to fix his church. Jesus Christ will not change his plans. Just so you know it. He's not going to change his plans. He never will. They're written in God's word and that never changes. And folks, that never fails. That's good news. Okay, I set you up now for our study, didn't I? Ooh, good. Chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. In our study of the Corinthian church, folks, if ever a church needed to be revamped, the old plan scrapped and the new plan chosen, it would have been the Corinthian church. If that's the way God worked, this would have been one of the places. I won't review all that we studied last week. (laughs) There's a lot of problems I shared with you last week. I just want to reinforce the fact that this church was quite immature. They shouldn't have been, but they were. At one point said, Paul says, there's immorality among you. That's amazing. Matter of fact, they kind of liked it that way. In, In another place he says, if ungifted men came into your church right now, or unbelieving came into your church right now, they're going to think you're mad by the way you operate. He said at another time, he says, I wanted to speak to you as spiritual men, but I couldn't, because you're so immature. You're babies in Christ, and you're jealous, and there's strife among you, and there's quarrels among you, and I could go on and on and on, but every chapter has a problem, it seems. And they just stand out in front of us, and we say, what about this Corinthian Bible church? Well, it's immature. It's an immature church. Do you scrap that? Do you remodel it? Do you start over? You know, some people think that Jesus gave up on the Laodicean church. You know that passage in Revelation chapter 3? that We know it pretty well. At least we know parts of it. He says, well, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold nor hot, but because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will... Spit is a nice word for it. There's really bad words in there that, that sounds terrible. I will vomit you out of my mouth. And you say, ooh, he hated the Laodiceans, didn't he? Couldn't stand them. Had to write them off. Forget that group. But this is what the rest of the verses say. But I say to you, but I mean, but you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you. You don't advise somebody if you've given up on them. 
He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you might be clothed and the shame of your nakedness would not be revealed. And I salve to apply so that your eyes may see. He's wanting them to improve. He's not getting rid of them. And this is what he also adds. For those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. What did that just say about the Laodicean churches? He loves them. He didn't give up on them. He rebukes them because he loves them. That's his he says. And then he goes, just be zealous, repent. I'm standing at your door and I'm knocking. This isn't for salvation. He's talking about, hey church, this is mine. Let me in. We're changing what's going on in here. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in with him and dine with him and he with me. And he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Because I overcame. And I sat with my father on his throne. Does that sound like he gave up on the lay of the sins? Not at all. Not at all. I just want to reaffirm to you that the plan Jesus Christ has for his church and its efficient functioning, all of that is based on what he's already done to guarantee its success. If I was talking about myself, I'd be bragging, boasting, and I can't even control what tomorrow, what gray. <laughs> but Jesus Christ knows the end from the beginning. He knows tomorrow, and he can guarantee the success because it's based on him. Based on him. That's why I could confidently read to you these things. The success of the church is not measured in numbers. The success of the church is not measured in a bank account or a building or a program or ministries or personnel. It's based on the image of Christ that we bear and it will look like Him when it's done. That's it. I'm glad to be a part of it, aren't you? That's amazing. Just look at what God has done. Okay, we could do this. Chapter 1, verse 4. Whatever I don't get, you know that's next week. Leftovers. Verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you, for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. First item. He has given His grace to the church. Don't minimize that phrase. He has given His grace to the church. How much grace does God have? There's a lot of words that go with that. Unlimited, incredible, the richest of His grace, all kinds of phrases. It's huge, folks. Guess what He gave to the church? 2% of it? Just a fraction. He had to divide it up over all those different churches, right? Do you know how much he gives? All grace to meet all needs. Dr. John Kelly, the president at Southeastern Bible College, when I was there years and years ago, he's now with the Lord and, and um, dear man, he defined grace as grace is God's help when you need it. And I thought about that and I said, where, where does that come from? Hebrews 4, verse 16. You know the passage about the high priest. We don't have a high priest like, you know, 
those kind of things. He says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. He knows what we need. And guess what? He's already provided what we need to meet the needs. I didn't say a tongue twister, did I? That's his grace. Second thing, God has given everything. Everything. Verse 5. In everything you were enriched in him. In all speech and in all knowledge. Enriched is a great word. It means to make wealthy. Figuratively, to make rich. To give abundance. To have valuable bestowments. The Lord has given so much. Now, some people say, well, it could be physical things like money. Well, yeah, the Lord provides that too, doesn't he? Yeah? You think? Maybe? Yeah? In this context, though, he's referring to the spiritual blessings that are manifested in what to say and in what to know. In all speech and in all wisdom. It's unfortunate that the Corinthian church began to think they had the abilities of knowledge and the abilities of speech that they generated themselves. <laughs> they got so prideful in this whole picture as if to say, look at me, I'm so smart, I'm so eloquent. Folks, we are not able to know the spiritual things unless the Holy Spirit reveals them. That's a simple principle. The Holy Spirit is within you. The spiritual things come from the Spirit. Don't take pride in that. Don't act like you created this. Your knowledge and your ability to communicate it, it's not from you, it's from God. He did it. Let's give Him credit for it and not take it for ourselves. The ability to speak spiritual things is by His doing in you. You've been given that as a valuable bestowment. In all things, the church has to acknowledge this. In all things, it's by His grace and not by ourselves. It's by His grace that exists. It's by His grace that moves. It's by His grace that it brings about results. And God's not going to have it any other way. So it's time for us to realize that's His plan. We have to rest in Him. And wouldn't that be the best thing to do? You know what happens if you fight against that? It's a mess, folks. It's a mess. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. In grace, the church is not a pulper. In grace, the church is not a pulper. But the very fact of that ought to humble us and bring us to greater dependence upon Him. It ought to help us realize that He not only invented the church, but He also sponsors it too. That's His work. He's not going to wind it up and say, now you figure it out. That's really cool. He's involved in every part of this. And he's not going to let us forget it, folks. It's in his word, page after page after page after page. He left the evidence all around us that it's about Christ and it's not about us. It's about Christ. I have to quit. All right. Next week, I'll put it right here so we don't forget. There's good stuff coming. We got a lot to chew on, don't we?
I hope we're setting our focus right. That's my goal in, in this part of the study, that we get our focus correct, that this is Christ's church. It's not ours. So let it bring Him glory. Heavenly Father, we've got a lot to learn. You've been patient with us. You've been very good to us. You have brought us to a place that we stop today, just at this moment, and say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. You do it, and you do it, and you do it. And so often, we take the credit for it. And we walk around as if it's about us, and about our performance, and about uh, what we do to make this thing work. And yet, your word just reminded us again, it's yours. It's yours. Help us to realize that, and help us to live by that. We want the church to function efficiently for the glory of God. And so as we anticipate learning more and more, we pray that you help us uh, incorporate all that we learn week by week. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.